Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. You guys, we are so excited because today we're going to start talking about the bard. (laughs) (laughs) So our friends who are listening, who are not ELA teachers or have nothing to do with Shakespeare, you might be like, oh, I don't really know if I'm going to listen to this. Really, what you're going to hear us do (laughs) is nerd out quite a bit, but we have some really good tangible stuff for you. Um, and the biggest thing is an amazing announcement that I'm going to let my friend Amanda make right now. Oh my gosh, I get to make the announcement. Okay. You really do. So I'm so excited. You guys, Murray and I have been dreaming about this since, I mean, honestly, you could look at our Google drive, our notes from before we even recorded our first episodes. We kept talking about, we need to do something with Shakespeare. We need to do something with Shakespeare. We both love Shakespeare. Marie's like undergrad and master's work is like all about Shakespeare. So we are finally ready to host in April, the Shakespeare Teacher Festival. So this is a five day event, a free series of trainings and workshops and videos and everything Shakespeare for a full week. So mark your calendars, okay? April 5th through 10th, we are hosting the Shakespeare Teacher Festival. Of course, there's a sign up and it's all ready for you in our show notes today. We would love for you to come over there and tell us that you're going to join us. Um, This is going to be so freaking fun, Marie. I'm like, I can't even, I'm beside myself. Well, yeah. And in preparing for this episode, we asked you guys, our audience, what are your questions about 
Shakespeare or what do you want to know about Shakespeare? And we got so many good questions. And many of those questions are going to be answered right here in this episode, but many more are going to be addressed with the strategies we provide, the lesson ideas that we have, and the overall work that we can do together during this Shakespeare Teacher Festival. So make sure you head to the show notes, sign up. We even have some resources for you right now when you register for the free event that will be available to you today, this minute. So if you want to pause us and like go to bravenewteaching.com slash Shakespeare, and then there you go. So and share it, bring your friends. I mean, the more, the merrier, this is free. And we'd love to have, you know, it's kind of nice to do the same thing with a teacher buddy of yours because you can talk about it, you know? Absolutely. So let's cue the music and jump in. Here we go. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Okay, friends. So like I said in the intro, we had a lot of questions about all different parts of teaching Shakespeare, about engaging students, about just introducing them to the language, about how, what, how, when, and how much scaffolding to provide, right? Like, and then really specific questions. What about teaching this play? Um, so we are going to cover the bases <laughs> and give you some like a little bit more of what will go more in depth when we actually do the Shakespeare uh, teacher festival and what you'll get with those trainings and workshops. So first we want to address some general teaching questions. A lot of the questions we got were about how to even approach the text. Do you read it? Do you do the whole thing aloud? Do you use audiobook? Do you savor every line and spend six weeks of your class time going through it? Right? Like you can kind of get where I'm going with this. Um, how, what do you do with close reading? You guys know that we are big close reading fans, that we implement that quite a bit in here. Amanda, do you want to jump on this? And then I also have some pretty solid suggestions. Yes, I'm salivating at this. And, and, and I think that the, the questions that were asked were so, so great. Um, and I'm going to pivot a tiny bit because I think the answer to these questions all depend on a couple of things that need to be thought about ahead of time. So first and foremost, one of the most difficult things about teaching Shakespeare is that we kind of, at least at the schools where I've been, we don't really have a good vertical articulation of him. So what ends up happening is like in eighth grade, sometimes kids learn iambic pentameter and they learn rhyme scheme and they learn a couple of trivia facts about Shakespeare. Then they get to ninth grade and the high school teachers don't know if the kids know iambic pentameter, if they know what a couplet is. And so sometimes there's a lot of overlap in the pre-teaching. There's things that are big gaps or big holes that are missing in, you know, Shakespeare's style or how to read him. So it can get really tricky trying to navigate those waters. So I'd say first and foremost, you know, it's important to go into your unit with a focus, because if you start trying to do all of Shakespeare, like yes. you're going to cover his life and times, what the language is, how to read the language, Shakespearean insults, sonnets. And like, we haven't even gotten to the play yet. 
<laughs> that's, that's a serious consideration because, you know, I think a lot of these, these questions are, are, it depends. So part of that is how much time do you have? right? How much time do you have for your unit? Um, how much time do you have to focus on the little minutia of language? And how much time do you want to dedicate to the lasting eternal themes of humanity that Shakespeare's really getting at? And so, you know, ask yourself those questions, try to vertically articulate if you can, you know, if you're in a, in a high school where, you know, the ninth, 10th, 11th and 12th grade Shakespeare plays and, you know, what's, what kids should be learning and getting better at, from freshman to senior year. I mean, that's a huge way to relieve some of those questions is because you can delegate, you know, who's doing what. Um, but of course, you know, most importantly is starting with an essential question frame, Always. right? Your, your unit has to be framed in an essential question because if you can't get away with teaching a novel unit about a novel, there's no way you're getting away with doing an entire unit on Macbeth and the kids being like, yeah, Woohoo! Every day, Macbeth. Yeah, this relates um, to my life. It needs to be <laughs> in an essential question. And I think that will guide you through answering more of these questions. So, um, Maria, can I drop that off uh, in your lap from there? Yeah, I was just going to say, so friends listening, that is going to be one of the trainings that we talk about is Amanda is going to go through essential questions specifically with Shakespeare's works, like how to incorporate an engaging and explorative exploration and an opportunity for students to explore with an essential question use, you know, with like Romeo and Juliet or whatever. Um, I will say my one, and I have done a few YouTube videos on my channel. I'm actually rolling up my sleeves cause I get so pumped. <laughs> one, the thing Shakespeare wrote plays. They were meant to be seen not read. The only people, if we're talking about author's intent, the only people who read Shakespeare's plays contemporarily <laughs> were his actors and those with enough money to be able to have somebody make them a copy of the play to sit in their, you know, salon or wherever in the front of their house and read through the plays that they had seen first. So in that vein, no, I, I personally, I'm in a hard answer. Do not sit in your classroom and read every word of a Shakespeare play um, unless you want to kill it for yourself and for students. Watch it. Th they are public domain. There are so many amazing companies, uh, theater companies and groups that put Shakespeare on a screen for us. Why not take that opportunity that we have in the, 21st century to like see it first and then close read significant scenes and parts of scenes that um, students need to see or that's really good practice, etc. Like that's my big thing. So, so here's how those two things are, why they're related. So what I was talking about is going in with a plan, going in with an essential question and knowing what that focal point's going to be. Your essential question is really going to harness you know, both the skills and kind of the thematic focus of, you know, what you're trying to get after. So if you think about something like Macbeth, okay, for example, um, you know, the trouble and the joy of Shakespeare is that he has so many uh, brilliant layers to the complexity of what's happening in the story. But the drawback for us in our classes is sometimes complexity is distraction for students. So if I'm going into Macbeth, and this is a study in gender, 
Okay. So not a study in revenge or in, in war and, you know, male egos. This is a story in gender. Then all of a sudden I have that focal point in act one, act two, where are my close reads coming from? They're the places that are revealing something about this conversation, this ongoing conversation we're having about gender, right? So like, that's exactly why Marie and I are, are here with these two answers because they mean everything. If you're going to do that approach, you have to know where you're going and what your focus is going to be. Absolutely. And sometimes, I mean, I will say that the way that I, the way that I approach Romeo and Juliet is we watch the whole shebang. Yeah. And then we go and we divide it up. The way I approach Hamlet, we go one act at a time. We'll watch the act. We'll go and we'll divide some stuff because it is so deep. That's also the difference between ninth grade and 12th grade in my classroom and, you know, traditionally in my, in my school. Um, so there are different ways to do it, but I would say like, I, I equate it to my students like this. What, when, when do you go to an art gallery or whatever and have somebody be like, look at this painting I made S- or no, I'm sorry. Smell this painting that I made. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? That's like, read this play before yeah. seeing it for a, you know, a high school student. I've messed up my own analogy. Ugh, I hate myself. Let's move on to the next thing. Well, I, I just, I can empathize with those of you over there who are kind of shaking because I, when I first started, you know, Romeo and Juliet for the first time at my new school. And I said, I'm going to watch this first. I mean, there were audible gasps in my meeting that were like, well, then they're going to know what happens. Yeah. If they watch certain episodes of the Simpsons, which I get, I'm dating myself here. They're going to know what happens. (laughs) I mean, I mean, and that's kind of like the thing is we have to remember what is the goal. If you're trying to teach kids how to read Shakespeare, you're not going to do it line by line from an entire play. You're going to do it from small pieces. Um, And, and if the plot is the most important thing, then, I mean, they're going to get that from watching it too. So yeah, let them, then let them get it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then let them get it. And then yeah. revisit it over and over and over again. I've even had my kids vote on their favorite scenes and what they wanted to close read. And that was awesome because if they picked something I didn't like, I just rigged it anyway. So whatever. Or even still like talk about spicing it up. Like if they get to see the whole entire play or even one act and they get to vote scenes yeah. one through four, which one do you think was the most pivotal? Look at that engagement. Look at that Hello. critical thinking that they are doing with Shakespeare's text. Okay. Let's talk about language comprehension. Cause we also had a lot of questions about that. Um, what are some like go-to strategies for understanding lingo for scaffolding so that students can understand the language on their own? How are we differentiating levels? We had questions about teaching the original text, the early modern English versus a modern translation. Um, and what like our favorite text or like prepared footnoted translation to use would be. Um, do you want to start? I feel like I cut you off. No, no, no. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. I will say when you go to, um, register for our free event, you're going to have access to some entry point activities like how, like how we approach, uh, iambic pentameter and rhyme scheme and those sorts of things. And the tatum tatum, right. <laughs> like, um, how, how some activities for approaching that with students and just kind of some like intro activities for getting them, there's a lot of context to understand before you jump into something like a whole Shakespeare play. And so we address that with some things that you can get ahead of time before the Shakespeare Teacher Festival. Um, but I would say one of the best things that I have done when it comes to allowing students to understand the language for themselves 
is to slowly lift the training wheels. Like start with, well, I start with them seeing it so they can see the words brought to life. Then we look at what they just saw. Then I talk through the first three lines or, you know, the first quatrain. And then they with a partner do the same thing with the next quatrain. And then they can do stuff like, like it's a very slow lifting up of the supports. Um, and that, that sort of the, at least for like an initial in class, here's what Shakespeare sounds like. Here's what Shakespeare reads like. What does that actually mean? Hopefully this makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And, oh, okay. and so here's, here's the, here's the rub you guys. I taught Othello to English two students at a school where my kids almost, I'd say 90% of them English was their second language, what? much less Shakespeare's English. Um, and and what I told them to was part of, part of this was about building their confidence. And so that's the other thing we need to think about is when you give them the play ahead of time, you give them the visual, you're also giving your kids confidence. You're giving them something. That's the first thing you're giving them to hold on to because whether or not they understand every single word, this is not a class or an exercise in translation, right? We're not here to translate the play. We're here for them to learn how to read it and how to engage with it and how to feel comfortable asking questions and making claims about what they're seeing. So it's just one more vouch for giving them that visual support. Um, and I do similar to Marie slowly um, kind of uh, um, was a gradual release method or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think and, of and it I, like training wheels, like teaching yes, my son how yes. to ride his bike and you slowly lift them up until they're gone. <laughs> and, and part of that process is, is saying like, Hey, look at how much you did understand. Yes. Can you pair and, and look kind of looking at bigger chunks, um, at a time that actually really helps. I feel like the smaller you go, the more kids feel like that's how small they have to be and how slow they have to go when they're reading. And, and even like I tell us to my kids with novels, read three pages rather than one paragraph. Like if you get stuck at the end of a paragraph, keep going because maybe you're going to figure it out with some You'll more fill content. in the con. That is fantastic and advice. It's the same with Shakespeare, right? Yeah. Because the further you go, like eventually plot's going to start to pick up again. You know, if, if there's a really big wordy speech that you get lost on, mark it, but keep going because it might, you know, pieces of it might fall into place. Um, Activity-wise, and I'll include this in the free downloads too. Um, I don't know if anyone outside the Midwest hears these commercials, but Tim Allen does these pure Michigan commercials. Have you ever heard those, Marie? No. no. Okay. Please, so, please divulge. <laughs> well, Tim, the Toolman Taylor slash Tim from all of his shows has nothing to do with this other than his iconic voice. And so these are radio commercials and there's this like, da -na -na -na, like piano music that plays. And he describes all these things there are to do in Michigan. It's, it's a tourism commercial and pure Michigan where the waves lap against the shore and blah, blah, blah. They're Does like, he ever say to infinity and beyond? I know I'm ever, totally okay. Never. Um, but there's about, about snowmobiling and doing all these fun recreational things in Michigan. Okay. Shout out to Michigan. I love ya. you're you. You're a crazy great. state sometimes, but I do. Buzz Lightyear is your spokesperson. So what Buzz are you going to do? And so, so I actually kind of reverse engineer some of the language practice. So I will give my kids the transcript of a pure Michigan commercial because it's local and kids get it right. Like you could replace this with, with whatever you want. Um, and so I say, I want you guys to reverse translate 
this commercial. So I give them like an Elizabethan English, um, you know, dictionary, like a, just like a front and back, nothing crazy. Um, and I have them rewrite the commercial in Elizabethan English rather than giving them, right. We, a lot of times ask kids to translate Shakespeare into modern English right. and that's laborious. This is actually funny. Like the kids get a kick out of it because I then make them read them over this soundtrack of like the piano music. Okay. That is so dramatic, fun. dramatic Tim Allen voice. And so making it fun. And again, like they're playing with the language, they're starting to see the patterns of yes. Um, right. The, the common articles, like those are the ones that are so difficult, but then they get practice. So that's a well, really, fun yeah. I, I mean, it's just like any world language class too, where you have to kind of conjugate the verbs to get yep. to early modern English. Um, while you were talking, I thought of something and now oh, my brain is leaving me. So hopefully I'll get back to it friends. <laughs> oh, I know what I do. You had said you'll do this with any novel too. Okay. This is not going to be like, this might also make some people a little nervous. I provide no fear Shakespeare for my students. I provide like spark notes and whatever sorts of like out yeah. there, modern totally. English translations there are. With the same idea that it's the same reason that I encourage my students when we're reading a novel to read the Sparknote summary first and then read the chapter. It's it's a wonderful strategy for helping them um, advocate their own understanding, right? If they read through a um, the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet in modern English and then they go back to the early modern, the original text, they're a lot more equipped. Like you were saying, they've got that understanding. They've got a pre-existing knowledge of what's going to happen. And now they just have to pinpoint when those things happen. Talk about a great way to like, let them figure it out for themselves. Well, especially if, if what we love about Shakespeare is theme, right? Like it's his story, endure, absolutely. His enduring understanding of these massive themes you can't really have good conversation about theme if you don't know how the story ends. Well, and actually a lot of what we're saying right now is what gets at our third like round of questions, which were all about engagement. How do you get students excited? Really, how do you make it student friendly and relatable? They have to understand it. If they don't even understand the story that they are either seeing or reading or hearing, there's no way you're going to help bridge that connection to making it relatable and to like, because really Shakespeare, Shakespeare wrote about the human condition. Shakespeare wrote about what we as human beings experience here on this planet, our relationships, our struggles, our happiness, our like, like. And he wrote about all walks of life. <laughs> he gave all like classes, if you will, a voice. It might not be reflective of every part of the world, but it is reflective of a human experience. And students are not going to get that if they don't know what Puck is saying. Right. <laughs> why do we need to make that a mystery? Why, why do we have this stigma associated with having to find out for yourself if you can comprehend it when we get there? How elitist. How elitist is that? Like, oh, but that's what we've been doing. You didn't get it. And, I, and I'm not saying this in a way to like shame those of you who have been doing this and are it's doing this right now. It up. 
It's to shake it up and, and to recognize like, oh, I was totally, I have a master's in theater with like a specialization in Shakespeare studies guys. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that because I knew the right way to do things. I just didn't feel comfortable breaking the mold and doing it for the first parts of my career until I really started to see like, no, students need this. They're not getting much out of this. And I'm spending a lot of my class time on something that they're not getting much out of. And they could be getting so much more. And by the way, this goes for you middle school teachers out there too. A couple of you guys asked about how this applies to you. And I think, you know, this whole framework of watch, close read, watch, close read is applicable no matter the grade level. And all you're going to do is scaffold the length of the scene, the kinds of questions that you're asking. And you're, you're in good shape. We have also had a lot of questions about assessment how to assess with Shakespeare. And I mean, spoiler alert, a lot of the ideas are going to be very similar to the ideas that we have with any text, <laughs> any fiction anyways. Um, but we will do a whole shebang on that during our festival. I'm going to give you one little teaser about something that you'll hear me talk about, and it's adaptation. Because adaptations require such an amazing, su- such a good solid understanding of the original text in the first place to be able to adapt to different social and historical contexts. Um, it's a really fun project. I, and I think as usual, yes, assessment, it has to match the goals of the unit in the first totally. place. So if this is a literary analysis, like those are the standards you're looking at, right? You're trying to learn about figurative language and how all these things work and go together and you're analyzing then your summative should reflect that. Um, you should not have the kids writing an adaptation if your goals are literary analysis. Yes, right. So like, th- this is what's important. And like, if, if the plot is important to you, then maybe you should be looking at narrative elements and plot structure and, you know, the assessment should match that. Um, I think that one of my favorite assessments for Shakespeare is a Socratic seminar, is discussion, period. I love you know, that. a discussion where kids come back to that essential question. They come back to those enduring, big thematic questions about humanity and letting the kids go for it. Um, the, the last thing I would say, and we're going to talk about this again, uh, so much more in the festival, um, you know, it is going to be having kids write about Shakespeare. Um, I, I can tell you right now, one of my um, classes when we did Othello we did that entire unit based on rhetorical analysis. And mm. we only uh, analyzed, we only close read Iago's- I was just going to say Iago, period. Full stop. We, <laughs> full stop. The entire play. The entire yeah. play was rhetorical analysis of Iago. And at the end, we gave them one of his final speeches and the kids did a rhetorical analysis of one of his speeches by himself or by themselves. And so the kids practiced rhetorical analysis of Iago from day one to day, whatever. And so they were ready to do it on their own. And it was amazing because I said, do you guys remember what I said, what, how you felt when I said, hi, everyone, we're going to do rhetorical analysis of Shakespeare. Do you remember where your gut fell out of your stomach and onto the floor? And look at you, you all just did a rhetorical analysis of Iago's final speech in Othello. And like, they can measurably like feel their progress. If you ask them to do the same thing over and over and over again, and then take those training wheels off. A lot of what we are fighting against as teachers teaching Shakespeare is, um, history and what 
media has taught our students about what to think about Shakespeare, because, you know, Shakespeare is the best known writer in the English language. And therefore, he's the best known writer in the English language. And they're hearing from everyone and their mom who has been through a English speaking language arts class and studied Shakespeare and had it be painful or so hard or elitist and, and, and impossible to like figure out what the teacher's thinking. And so that is part of like the shell we have to crack. And yeah. so these engagement, um, even what we've already said, and even some other ideas, like one of the questions that we got asked and we cannot wait to address this in our festival is how to help kids see the comedy in the comedies. Yeah. Like so fun. Um, okay. Another round of questions is not going to come as a surprise anybody it's about how to what are some strategies or some tips for teaching Shakespeare remotely or with hybrid learning um I'm going to say a lot of what I've already said I, I like stands right see it first take it in small chunks because all of those things can translate to a virtual or hybrid setting um and we had one question like do I read aloud over zoom please don't Unless there's a, like, don't do that to yourself. Unless there's a pivotal moment that we need to hear it out loud again. And maybe we're going to play with language. And what if we said this word instead of this word? What is it, right? Like, unless there's a reason to read it out loud over Zoom, I, I would say teach it the way that we've been talking about if, if you really want the Marie and Amanda Brave New Teaching approach. Yeah. Yeah. If, and if you're looking for some fun ways for kids to do reading out loud and practice, um, there are quite a few different ways to do that. Um, I, I can talk about this more in more depth later, but I'm actually doing this with my ESL students. We're using Kami right now, the extension Kami. Uh -huh. I don't know if you guys have messed around with Kami before, but on Kami, you can upload a PDF and then you can add voice comments. So you could actually upload like a PDF of the scene. Maybe you want a group to read aloud or perform together. And then the kids basically just kind of put, um, you know, assign them their lines and then the kids can put a little dot on their spot and they can do a voice memo right there and collaborate on that with other students. So like you could have them perform a scene together, um, which would be really fun. And I know Nearpod, I've talked about this before as well, mm -hmm. has wonderful audio functions that are great. Uh, Moat is great for um, this too on a Google doc. The problem is that they limit your time to 30 seconds now with the free version. Oh, really? So Stinkers. I would definitely play with Cami and play with um, Nearpod for kids to do some audio recording of their own voices. And of course, Flipgrid is another great yes. option if you want to hear kids performing or playing with language remotely. I would even say, I mean, here's an idea, guys, because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying don't read it out loud on like, you know, <laughs> because I'm also a former drama teacher. So I'm like, yeah, perform for sure. Perform once you all have like a good understanding and there's a reason for performance. Um why not do a puppet show? Why not have students set up their own Zoom or Google Meet and have it go in um, gallery view and everybody makes a puppet and that puppet has to be somehow representative of whatever concept it is that you're covering. And they do, they do a puppet show. How like that, that takes a lot of the, I feel like nerve wracking parts away for students. If they can just have a puppet show and, or, you know, puppet showing instead of their little face. And it, and it hits a lot of assessment boxes for us as well because think of all the possibilities for this puppet that they have to design the, the scene blah 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 like there's a lot you can do with it that um and then you got what like five six kids on one recorded call create them all at once boom boom 
Love it. The, the more fun you have with this, the more fun the kids will have too. Yeah. Okay. We have one more question and it was about an entry point, like specific plays. What, which plays do we think we had a lot of questions about specific, like teaching specific plays, which we will address in the festival. Cause it's kind of too much, but like this one, we wanted to talk about what are some plays that we have used or that we see as good entry points for like eighth, ninth, 10th grade students getting into Shakespeare in the first place. Um, I mean, Romeo and Juliet is done a lot at the younger grades like that for a reason. It's simple. Mm -hmm. Students can relate to teenage hormones. I mean, there's a lot to it, but if you're like enough Romeo and Juliet already, I think Taming of the Shrew is fantastic um, because there's also a lot of really interesting gender role questions that you can talk about (laughs) having to do with Taming of the Shrew. Um, I'm trying to think of a tragedy that I would do. Julius Caesar is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, I like Macbeth for the younger grades too. We were talking about this before the show. Macbeth, Macbeth is, I think, readable for that age level, but it's of course timeless. And it's also wonderful to do with the older kids because the conversations get better. But I think that's probably true for all of the plays. That's true. Um, yeah. But I, I would say, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, Macbeth is a good one. I would say if you want one to not do with underclassmen or like middle school kids, don't do Hamlet. No, there's too, there's too much. Don't do Hamlet. Um, unless you've got a really high level bunch of kids don't go. I wouldn't go below 10th grade for like midsummer. I love midsummer. I get midsummer, but it's so weird. Yeah. (laughs) Even 10th grade, it's kind of a stretch. Like I have to do it towards the end of the year when they've matured quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think. I liked, I did Tempest with 10th grade. I've done Caesar with 10th grade. Um, I love Much Ado About Nothing. That's oh, Much a really, Ado. Really That's the a younger grades. wonderful ninth grade, yes. Brennan version is adorable. It is um, Although it does feature my arch nemesis, Keanu Reeves. Another day, another day. <laughs> um, but that's a great, so, so maybe even thinking about this question through you know, which of these plays has an adaptation through film or YouTube that I love because that's what you're going to teach first. So that might be another way to think about that. uh, If you have the choice, I've I've never been at a school that actually gave me the choice of what I wanted to teach. So lucky you. (laughs) (laughs) And Othello, Othello has been great for sophomores. Um, I think it's relationship wise, it's pretty intense. And so I think yeah. freshmen that might be, they're a little too, maybe second semester of freshmen, but I'd say sophomore is a great year for Othello. Othello is brilliant to do right now. When we talk about racial inequality, uh, relationships, rhetoric. I mean, Othello is freaking awesome. And Oh, the movie, I mean, Josh yeah. Hartnett, like good dunk dunk. I don't know what I saw in him actually. Cause I watched it again and I was like, wow, what a scraggly little white boy. I don't know. I just, I, 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 uh, was cause he was, he was touted as a heartthrob when we were younger. And so we were I like, okay. He, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh is awesome. It's really intense. Um, with a good, it is, that's going to be a permission slip movie. Permission everybody, slip. <laughs> you're definitely going to want a permission slip on that one. Um, I mean, I, yeah, no, I'm trying to think if I've missed anything. I know I already said Julius Caesar, but Julius Caesar in in our districts. And I think a lot pretty broadly sophomores are learning world history Mm -hmm. and world history often means like world war two, but they're expanding. We're expanding our horizons quite a bit of world history right now. Um, Julius Caesar is amazing. 
for- I love Julius Caesar in this time that we're living in because there are unfortunately a lot of other dictatorships that we can look to as- We can parallel kind of, quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, there's a well, lot of- talk about, talk about, yeah, engaging and relating to the real yep. world. So- Friends, as you can hear, we can go on and on and on about this. And we will will. go on and and on and on about this in more niched down specific terms during our free five-day workshop and trainings, the Shakespeare Teacher Festival. Amanda already told you, mark your calendars, April 5th through 10th, uh, 2021. You can register now as you are listening to this episode and get your hands already on some free goodies. And uh, we cannot wait to see you there. And we cannot wait to talk even more about all Um, things teaching Shakespeare. Can can I tell everyone that there's going to be t-shirts? Oh, yeah. We're putting together merch, guys. (laughs) That's simply because we just like... We just like to brand things. Because I want to wear one. Yes. So if you head to the show notes, you can see what we're talking about. We're excited about it. And we, we can't cannot wait. wait. We cannot wait. We've so been planning thank this you guys for, for a coming while. today. We appreciate you being here as always. And we'll see you in the next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.